Hola y bienvenidos a Peruvians of USA, peruanos de Estados Unidos. Un podcast en español, inglés y spanglish donde compartimos las diversas historias del inmigrante peruano. Mi nombre es Natalie Sofía y soy una chica peruana que vive en los Estados Unidos por más de 20 años. Welcome to Peruvians of USA, the podcast in Spanish, English and Spanglish where we share the diversity of the Peruvian immigrant experience. My name is Natalie Sofia, a fellow Peruvian living in the U.S. for more than 20 years. So let's get started. Hola, mi gente. Wow, we got to episode 13, the last episode of 2020 and the last episode of season one of Peruvians of USA, a passion project that started on 28 de Julio 2020 as a way to connect with and learn the stories of other Peruvian immigrants in the U.S. I am grateful to each one of you for your support in the last five months. Thank you for listening, for sharing, and for reaching out to let me know what the podcast has meant to you. I also want to thank each one of our guests for bravely sharing their story with us. From our first guest, Vanessa Ponce, to close friends who have been nothing but supportive, like my friend Will, and new friends that I've met through the podcast, like Sissy Paulino, Flavia Cornejo, and Walter Suarez Becerra. Last but not least, I want to thank the entire Peruvian diaspora in the U.S. for stepping forward to support our hermanos y hermanas en el Perú durante las protestas nacionales. Fue muy emocionante vernos más unidos. On this episode, cerramos con broche de oro. Here, I speak with my dear friend, Delia Rios. We speak about her path to college, living in Peru durante Sendero Luminoso, and her experience overcoming the shame of being unemployed. I added a bonus segment at the end of the episode where I asked Delia to share with us some of the lessons learned from 2020 and any regrets. Delia and I could have talked for hours, and I know this episode is really long, but I hope you listen to all of it as I think Delia has a lot of wisdom to share. I wish you happy holidays, no matter what you celebrate, and a very happy new year. I know the holiday season looks very different for many of us, but try to treasure the moments you have with your loved ones. Peruvians of USA will return in 2021, and if you're interested in sharing your story, check the link on the episode description, send me a DM, or check the link in bio. Mil gracias, felices fiestas, y un abrazo. If something resonates with you while enjoying our conversation, please be sure to share with us in social media using the hashtag Peruvians of USA. All right, here's our conversation. Welcome, Delia, to Peruvians of USA. I am so happy you're here today. Uh, please introduce yourself to our uh, audience. Hi, Natalie. I'm so happy to be here. And I'm so, oh, I also want to say I'm so proud for you doing this. I think it's bringing a lot of attention to other Peruvians and connecting with other Peruvians and share the stories and how we're similar um, in some type of way. Uh, my name is Delia Rios. I was born in Lima, Peru. I moved to the U.S. at age 13. Uh, didn't know any English. Maybe I took one class, um, but it was very minimum. So I arrived here not knowing anything. I was so lost. Um, it was it was very difficult, but I, I think at the same time, it helped me to really grasp the language as fast as possible. Um, I, um, after 13, I, uh, I went to John F. Kennedy High School in Patterson, graduated from there in 2004. And right after that, I went to Rutgers University for five years where I majored in industrial systems engineering. Um, currently, uh, living, still living uh, just between Patterson and Torwa, still in Jersey, um, 30 minutes away from the city. 
I work in the city as a quality assurance uh, manager. And besides that, uh, I like to travel a lot. I've been traveling. My first trip right after college was to Costa Rica, one of the best trips because it was unplanned and we just went with the flow. I went with three of my good friends. And besides traveling, I enjoy dancing a lot. I've been doing Zumba um, for almost 10, 11 years. And recently started taking salsa, even though I know salsa, recently taking the New York style that's called salsa on two. And that's what I am. Get confused a little bit between that one and two. I think I'm managing right now. It's it's really fun. That's that brings me joy. And right after work, um, because of COVID, it's difficult. But I found classes that are you know you can dance outside, and it brings me joy to finish work and then just go around to my class. It's so fun. And recently met some uh, ladies in the class, and um, I think they're my friends. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm really happy that you found an outdoor. Um, salsa class because I know how much you enjoy dancing um, and like COVID kind of threw everybody's hobbies um, out the door. Yeah. So yeah, we I think it's very important for all of us to find those little things that brings us joy. I know for me, when I found a CrossFit gym that was uh, that had a lot of ventilation and had a just like open door sort of style, was also something that brought me a lot of joy. But before we continue, I do want you to um, share the story of how we met because we actually are friends in real life. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, we're friends. <laughs> and, we and we have met. Um, so, but I want you to share that story with the audience. Okay. So uh, my memory maybe was 2008. I think between 2008 and 2009, around that time, I did an internship at GE in Erie, Pennsylvania. Up, up there and I met this girl really nice girl her name was Joyce and we shout out to Joyce if she listens <laughs> yeah shout out to Joyce <laughs> I know we love you Joyce we'll connect soon. <laughs> um, and she they put us into they gave us housing which was a small community college and they put us there for the summer and it so happened that her room was right I mean her apartment was right next to my apartment and we became friends like that. And also like during, we'll take the bus together to go to work, to our internship. And one day we started talking and I told her, I mean, everywhere I go, I always, in maybe <laughs> sometimes I'm annoying. I always like say, I'm Peruvian, this and that. I came to the US. My friends, if they listen, they would be, they're gonna be like, okay, she, again, the Peru story. <laughs> I, everywhere I go, I always, I don't know, it's just a stamp of like who I am. So I always, I'm so proud of it. So we met Joyce and I thought her was Peruvian. And then she told me one afternoon, oh, my friend is Peruvian too. I want you to meet her. And I said, okay, oh, that'll be cool. And then, but I thought in my head, we're going to meet in person or she's going to arrange something because I know at the time she lived in, in New York, I think in Brooklyn. And one one afternoon she comes and she, I guess she must have been speaking to you she comes and knocks on my door because it was right, right next to each other and she says Delia so remember I mentioned that I had a friend named Natalie from Peru and I was like yeah she said oh she's on the phone do you want to talk to her <laughs> and I, I I was kind of like okay I mean to me I mean at that time I was like okay this is 
this is a little weird, but she's saying like, oh, you want to meet her? And I was like, sure. And that's when, you know, I met you. And I think at the beginning it was like, hi, my name is this. But then we started talking and you just, I think we kind of like, we, we stood on Joyce's phone for like maybe like an hour <laughs> just talking. Yeah, I, yeah, I think I remember like, we're like, oh, wait, yeah, this conversation was with Joyce at the beginning. <laughs> she, she was probably waiting for her phone. <laughs> I know. But it was like, it was, I think at the time, at that point we said we're Peruvians, that's when we connect and we just started babbling, babbling, like, oh, okay, okay, we'll meet, we should meet that soon. And then we eventually met. Yeah, I love that story because um, I think one, it, it, is, it speaks to the fact that um, as Peruvian immigrants who come to the U.S., sometimes we feel like, um, you know, sometimes we feel like we're not at home and like we're not with the with our people right so whenever yeah. you see another Peruvian you tend to get excited you tend to they're like I don't know treat them like you're a, their long distance cousin or a neighbor that you haven't seen um but yeah I love that story and I think the first time we met up we met up in New York and I remember you telling your sister oh yeah I'm gonna meet this stranger that I met, that on, the I met on the phone and I even told my pa my parents too when I asked them when I tell them oh I'm gonna meet Natalie when you're in New York or like today they're like who's Natalie remember that friend that I met over the phone they're like okay <laughs> yeah that's funny and I think what must have happened and maybe Joyce uh you know will tell us different um she did probably mention you on the phone on the call when I was with talking to her because um, Joyce and I went to the same undergrad. We went to Smith College and we were we lived in the same house at Smith and that's how we met. Um, and eventually we became roommates when we lived in Connecticut. But um, she probably mentioned you on the phone and I said, oh, yeah, you know, like, let me talk to her. And I think I maybe <laughs> I think maybe I thought you guys were roommates. And so you'd be like next to her. I didn't oh, think okay, she was okay. going to like go and knock on your door. <laughs> I know she did. Well, usually, I don't know if it, it, I mean, it, she could have knocked, but like also it was summer, so we kept our doors open. So she might just like walk in and I mean, it's still like, hey, Delia, do you want to talk to Natalie? And I was like, sure. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> but I'm so glad. I mean, I'm happy, you know, if that wouldn't have happened, I wouldn't have met you. And, yeah. And yeah. then we've known each other for 12 years plus. I yeah. Think so, that's, that's so a it was 2008. Yeah. It's been a long, long a time. Long time. Um, so I want to circle back to um, your professional experience because I do want to want you to um, share that with our audience. You said you were an industrial systems engineer when you you majored in industrial systems engineer when you were um, at Rutgers. Mm -hmm. I guess what made you uh, major in engineering, and then how did you get to be uh, a quality assurance engineer? Um, so first, my dad is an engineer too. <laughs> so, and my mom is a teacher. So I think math in my household, math has always been like the point to go. Even moving to the US, we didn't know the language. So math was the go-to. My siblings are actually engineers too. All, all of them, even the little one is starting a double major, computer science and electrical. So we always have math in us. and because my dad was an engineer, I, I think by default, that's what we we're gonna go with. Um, I think my mom wanted us to be teachers and we didn't really <laughs> fulfill that, none of us, the four of us. So yeah, that's, that's how I became involved with math and then come to this country, math was the only subject that um, I could excel at because anything else I didn't understand, I didn't know the language. 
and you know, going to Rutgers, I was actually gonna do biomedical. And that was, I, I love bio and when I went to Kennedy and I thought that, okay, this is what I wanna do, I wanna do biomedical. But coming from the school system in Patterson, making the big jump to Rutgers, it, Rutgers for me was very difficult and especially taking chem chemistry I took in high school was nothing compared to the chemistry I took at Rutgers. And yeah, to say the least, after I took chemistry, I said to myself, no, I don't think biomedical is for me. <laughs> and so I, that's when I, luckily in the first year, you're able to decide, you're, you don't decide your final major until like the end of the first year. So it gave me a little bit of room to really see what else I wanted to do. And I was, when I, when I look into industrial engineering, what I liked of it was that it's also almost more business type and you combine sort of all the engineers and really look at it, a process improvement. And that's what made me go into it and eventually graduate with industrial and system engineering. Even though at Rutgers, the industrial, our, uh, our major industrial and system is actually, it was, I don't know if it still is, but it was a branch of mechanical. So we had to do a lot of projects that were involved mechanical. So it's, I know sometimes all the other engineers make fun of industrial engineers because they say like imaginary engineering, but- I heard that, I hard. heard that It too. is hard, especially <laughs> at Rutgers. And any Rutgers alumni that you talk to, they're gonna tell you that they went through hell when they had to do the final design project. Because I remember staying at the lab until four in the morning trying to code which I only took like two coding classes and it was so hard. And when I talked to other students at other uh, universities, they, they don't, they, their final thesis is going to a company and like, you know, doing a process improvement on a project for the big company. For us, we had to build a machine and we built it. And I can send you pictures after in a video. Wow, that's, that's <laughs> impressive. That's impressive. Yeah, no, I definitely have heard that joke before. And I, I mean, engineers still engineering, so. <laughs> I know. We still have calc, okay? We still take up to calc four. And we still have to take an electrical engineering class, so. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's, not, that's, it's not as easy as people think it is. Mm -hmm. It's not like business. Just make it that clear. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny in my school. Uh, sometimes they would say like those that um, end up majoring in business uh, were former engineer majors. Uh, so it's just funny because I started as an engineer as well. Eventually, I moved to the business side, not in undergrad, but um, yeah. You went, yeah, you went through the whole hill. I mean, oh yeah, lab, yeah. Like hours or staying overnight in a lab, yeah, that's no fun. <laughs> I know it, it was very hard because our also our professor. I think it was the hardest class, and all my peers will agree. But that was a class that taught us the mo the most because we had to present every two weeks in front of the whole class our progress, and our professor was very tough. I don't want to say name because you know just in case. But people will know who he is. <laughs> he was very tough, and if you you had to present in front of the class, and if you didn't deliver what he liked, he will put you in the spot and tell you that's not how it is. And you know, you're how old was I? Like eighteen, nineteen. It, it's it's difficult because you're just learning, I guess, about life, and you're in front of the class, and if you don't do it right, you caught someone calling you out right on the spot. So it was tough. I mean, I feel like everybody in the class was such in a lot of stress to get the project right because he just had big ideas and just said like 
here, you need to make this machine. And he had, I mean, I guess to him it was doable, but to us it was, oh my God, what are we gonna do? And, but I mean, I think at the end, you know, I gotta be past Renee, I think, but so. Hey, you got your degree, you got your degree. You got a degree, you got a degree. And I was like, I'm down. He wanted us to present at regionals. Oh, wow. And we were like, nah, we're done, we're done. That's funny. <laughs> so talk to me about uh, your path to Rutgers, actually, like, Oh, my Rutgers. Um, I had applied to three schools. I applied to Stevens, which uh, is Stevens Institute of Technology, which is a private school in Hoboken. I applied to NGIT and Rutgers. I got into the three of them. What it really came down was the money. And because Steven being a private school, it's it, when I look at how much they were I had to pay it a pocket. It was ridiculous. And, you know, and especially, and I know you have also brought it up in the past, like the amount of money that people owe after graduation is insane if you don't get the help, you know, from financial aid, from scholarships. So, I mean, I interview everything with Steams. I really like it. I love the campus. And I mean, I think you've been to Hoboken. I love Hoboken, but it was just too expensive. I, I mean, I would have graduated with like thousands and thousands of you know, that um, then NGIT, I liked it, but for me, the deal breaker was that my mom, I really wanted to live on campus, first of all. So my mom told me, well, if you go to NGIT, you can take the bus every day. And I said, no, I want to live on campus. And she's like, no, you've got to take the bus. So then that left me with Rutgers because that was a decent amount. I'm not going to take the bus. It would take me like two hours to get to Rutgers in a bus. Uh, so, and plus I had a, at that time, and I don't know if we're going to have time to talk about it maybe a little bit. At that time, I didn't know about Society of Hispanic Professional Engineers. I just knew about, it, it came a program to my high school that said something, I think about Latinos in council, Latino council or something like that. And they actually took us to one of the campuses to stay for two days. And they had a lot of programs planned for us. And when I went to the program, I really like how Rutgers was built you have, I don't know, have, have you been to Rutgers? I don't know no, I haven't actually. <laughs> you should go. It's really fun. <laughs> but what I, I like the design of it, because you have five little campuses and it's like its own city. So you have buses that take you from campus to campus. Nice. So I thought that was really cool. You know, like it's like you have, even though it's between New Brunswick and Scataway, you really have the sense of a little town. So I really like that. And I, love the classes and I love the people so then that's when I meditation they really want to come to Rutgers and the engineering program is very good too so and it was the school where I was going to come out with the less depth out of the three yeah and that's um so I, I mean it's important and I'm actually very impressed that you were mindful of that that early on because I know there's so many stories of people just saying like, well, I'm just going to get the loans and, you know, get an education and whatever they, whatever school they want to go to without any consideration to, to the amount of debt that you could come out. So you came at the age of 13 and you went through middle school and high school. Um, like how was that process of applying to college for you? Because you're the first in your family to go yeah. to college in the U.S. So, yes. and how did you learn about like FAFSA and, oh, girl. and scholarships <laughs> and things like that? 
Oh my God, okay. Going to sophomore year in high school. Um, I knew, first, I knew I had to go to college because both of my parents went to college in Peru. So that was a given. Um, and then in sophomore year, I first didn't know I had to apply. Like you had to start like looking already in sophomore. So at one time a counselor comes in and he starts talking about the SATs. And I, I, in my mind, I think I still was caught up on the PSAT. So I said like, I want to take the PSAT. And I, when I went to my counselor, because I mean, I had no idea, you know, my mom knew, my mom and my dad knew about the process, but back in Peru, not here. So here's like very different. And he, he told me, okay, you want to take the PSAT? And, and she said, okay, what grade are you in? And I said, I'm a sophomore. And they said, you're too late. Like you have to go straight on SATs. You cannot take the PSAT, but you should have taken that last year. And I said, what? Like, Wait, so maybe I'm just forgetting, but exactly what is the PSAT? I don't remember. I think it's like a preparation for SATs. Oh, like, got it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah. You yeah. take it like. That makes yeah. sense. <laughs> yeah, you take it. Yeah, yeah. The pre-SAT, you take it before. I mean, I guess now, viejita, maybe that's not no longer. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, we're from, like, the, we're from the generation of 1600. <laughs> Score <laughs> max. <laughs> now, now it's like 2000 something. I don't know what's up. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know what they do nowadays. I don't know. But yeah. Um, and okay, so they told me you had to go to the SAT. And I said, okay. And took the SATs. Did, I don't think I, the first time, I don't think I did good enough to like apply. So I had to retake it. And the next time I did better, obviously the math really like saved me because language was like, no, no. I mean, I think I could write it, but even then I, I struggle a lot with the language part. But I, I, I think it got better when I was a sophomore. Um, then took it and I, I really have to thank my counselor, Mrs. Leather, that I pretty much lived in the guidance uh, counselor room because she in always, and you probably remember back in the days we didn't have like online the scholarship. So we had a binder that you go down to the guidance counselor room and really go through all the scholarships that we, you will apply to. So did that, she helped me with my bio in, you know, the whole application process. If it wasn't for her, and I really have to give a lot of things to her, I don't think I would have known what to do. I mean, my mom didn't know what to do. Um, so th that was kind of like process and applying as many scholarships as I could and, you know, to, to get to Rutgers and being mindful, like you said, that my parents weren't gonna, th that was my goal too. Like, I feel like as growing up and you probably feel the same way too. It's like, you wanna give back to your parents. You don't wanna, keep asking them. And I think that's a difference for Latinos that we are very mindful that, you know, we are, if we are grown ups and, you know, we're making money, we really want to give back. I don't want to be that burden to my parents to have to pay for X, Y, and Z because for us, they already raised us and, you know, legally after 18, they could be like, bye, <laughs> you know, so, and, and that helped me. And, you know, I, that's what I said at the beginning. I think it's very crucial to build a good network and people that are gonna help you along the way. Because I mean, other counselors don't, they don't help you. They just say like, here are the guidelines and you fill it out. And she told me about everything, 
even the application waiving that you know you don't have to pay for this apply to this scholarship any scholarship that i could um, qualify for she will send me and you know whether and you know got to Rutgers. it was fun it was the best for me Rutgers was the best time i was very very believe it or not i was very very shy in high school <laughs> i don't believe it <laughs> <laughs> you had to cut that one away i was very shy if i had like four friends that's about it. <laughs> All right, everybody. She's not shy right now. <laughs> but, but I used to be. But I know. I think being, a, and that's why I'm so grateful for Rutgers. I think really opening me up to how I was prior to coming to the U.S. I think coming to the U.S. and not knowing the language really put me, really close me. And when I went to, to Rutgers and knowing the language, being more confident of speaking and really I think that that made a big difference and psychologically and it might not be my only story maybe other people that feel the same way when because you're not comfortable in that it's a different language so you're not comfortable being yourself you're always second guessing oh what am i going to say and even or translating which i mean sometimes i still do but now it's just the worst is flow now so it's better <laughs> yeah I, I think that something that you bring up is it's it's very true, but also like the fact that you uh, you were thirteen, you were a teenager, right? And so that and and I've said this in pre in other episodes where uh, a teenager in Peru to me, and maybe this is you believe the same thing, just feels a lot older than a teenager here. So like if you were thirteen in Peru, it's almost as if you were like fifteen, sixteen here, yeah, and was. so you're like aware of your surroundings you want to i don't know be hip and cool and like now you're stuck not knowing the language and feeling judged because of not knowing your accent so that's all very yes i think that you put it perfectly i think the accent was what played i mean in back in in peru in in the escuela primaria i was brigadier which is like a leader like you know like but i was the one I think it's called patrol here or something. Yeah. yeah, something like that. Yeah, like I was the one, like when we had to make, you know, in las actuaciones tienes que, tienes que leer una historia and they pick someone from, you know, from, from your grade. I will always be like, I want to, I want to speak, you know, I want to, I want to perform. And I was always like the one and coming, that shift of coming to the U.S. and not knowing the language and now like unfortunately getting F because I didn't know the language so what am I supposed to do the only class I could get an A was in math so it was it, it was a shock I mean I did not want to go to school I hated school because for me it's like I, if I want to go to school I want to succeed but if I'm coming and I don't know the language solamente estoy yendo a calentar el asiento that's it <laughs> so right. I, yeah it, it was it was hard yeah, and also you mentioned you gave props to the career counselor that helped you. And and yeah, definitely for sure, giving props to any career counselor, to any teacher, to any mentor that's out there that sees the student asking questions, being confused. But I also want to give you props because it takes um it takes a person like it it's a quality to be brave enough to ask for help and it's a, uh, you know, like you were interested enough in your future to say like, I don't know this. Let me go to the career counselor and ask questions. And you mentioned you lived there, right? I know. And, yeah. and <laughs> it's funny because like I actually literally lived in the, in the career in the career center of my high school because you know I had it very clear early 
in high school that my parents were not going to pay for my college education. And not necessarily because they were like, we don't want to pay. It's just, they couldn't, they could not pay. It was not, it was, it was not within their budget. And so I could have, you and I could have sit and complain and be like, oh, well, I'm not going to college. But mm-hmm. I think it, I think you took it a step farther and you were like, all right, I don't want to be this burden to my parents. So I'm going to find out, figure out a way to how to fund my education. And so I do want to just highlight that because I, I think you and I think is, think that of course, everybody does this, right? This is the, this is the logical yeah. thing to, but no, <laughs> like I've come no. to know that not, people don't do that. Sometimes people you know, perhaps see an obstacle and they're like, oh, well, I can't do it then, you know? No, um, yeah. And that's what, and that's what I'm thinking. And now in, in same back at you that it's, it's, and I think that's why we connected so good that we shared a similar story and, you know, being able to, yeah, it could, it could have been easily said that, you know, well, my parents don't have enough money or my parents can't afford it. So now I just go, you know, I just go, I finish college, I mean, finish high school and I'm gonna work. But, you know, we knew better than that. We knew what we wanted, we wanted, what we wanted to make um, ourselves, we wanted to make ourselves better. So I actually, I, I forgot to say that actually for me, I think back in the day too, when I didn't really know, you know, the four year college, to me, my goal was go to a community college because I didn't know. And then as time progressed, and also in my having my counselor too, or perhaps, um, I was in the STEM program in, in high school, perhaps was my uh, other mentor in, in the STEM program. That sh- they told me, why do you want to go to a two-year college? You should go to a four-year. And I, I think at the time I didn't understand. I think for me, it was the goal just to community college. But then they told me, no, you, you have the capability to go to a four-year college. And then I was like, oh, okay. You know? But it was, it was a learning process. And I'm glad that you know, we found the people along the way to help us be where we are now. Yeah, no, for sure. So tell us about your career now as, um, as quality assurance. You said you were, you, you were a quality insurance engineer at a food company. Yeah. So tell us about that. How did you get into the food industry? Um, so I first, right out of college, I work at P&G and in Mihupani, Pennsylvania. <laughs> I have no idea where that is. Where is yeah, it? Yeah, it's like in the middle of nowhere. Um, I liked it it was just for me personally um I don't for me I think and that's one something I always have in mind I right now have to direct report for me it's very very important not only being a boss but being a leader being someone who's going to motivate my you know my employees and when I started the person that was training me it was it I just think it they wasn't giving me, they didn't give me the chance to be like trained the, the, a better way or the good way. And for me, it was, you know, I feel like you need to have like a good training program. And a lot of people stay and also some people left. And I was one of the ones who left because I, I didn't feel like I could succeed. Maybe it was like in the back of my mind, but at that time, now that I think it, about it, I feel like I could have, but at that time I just felt like, no, I can't do this. You know, this is impossible. So I unfortunately, for, I mean, I, I, the way I look at it, fortunately, because if I didn't quit, I would still be in this town, I don't know, and not in New York City, which I feel like brings me so much joy because there's so much stuff to do. And I 
been thriving in my current company. So I left, um, took some time out, a couple months, and then I found this job in LinkedIn. I applied, um, went through three rounds because the person they had before just wasn't it. So they want to make sure like this person was going to be um, a better fit. So I went again and interview and stay there for 10 years. It's, 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 I know it's, it's a long time. I feel like I started yesterday. Wow. I mean, that's a good feeling. It means you keep learning and you know, you just yeah. continuing to learn. So I know a lot of people um, have experienced job loss with COVID, right? Um, and that it is very difficult to find a career or find a job or, so you went through a period of time where you were looking for a job, right? You left PNG and then you, you had some months that you were off that, well, that might've been difficult or not, you know, but like, I guess I am curious what lessons you have that you can share with the audience in terms of, um, you know, finding a career or finding a, a, another job. Yeah. So when I left, I really felt like a failure. I felt like, to me, p is such a big company. And I, even though I don't think anyone judged me by that, I felt people were going to judge me. How dare you leave a big company? Um, you know, you're going to, to me, that's how I felt. Even, I felt very, very low at my point because I feel that people, I was so used to always starting something and finishing. And that was, I think emotionally, that was very tough for me. But as months went through and now even now, how I felt at that time, I wasn't happy at a job. I was miserable. And if I show you a picture, you could see like I was raking out. I was so sad, you know, I felt like I had anxiety. Then I fast forward now and I'm in such a better place. And that's what I said, fortunately, unfortunately. And I'm glad I did because like I said, like I wouldn't be able to, to be where I am now and especially for the people that have lost their jobs I was I think five months with other job and I kept looking and looking and looking and I think it really comes down to the fact that if you have health and you have enough savings just you just have to trust in yourself that you're going to find something better and always pushing you know that I had other offers but it, I had another offer line up, but it was going to be the same position. And I made a decision. No, it's the same thing I was doing. I don't want to do it again. So that I, I kept looking and just have trust in yourself, what you're worth. Um, I was at a low point, but then I started thinking, you know, I have done all this and, and you start thinking like, maybe I wasn't a good fit here, but I'm definitely going to be a better fit here. And where I am, I think I'm a better fit. I, I, I get along very well with my manager. And I think that's one of the important things to, you know, at a company that, you know, getting along with your coworkers, with your manager and thriving. And, you know, now I'm a manager and managing to guide. And they're so wonderful and they're younger, obviously, <laughs> they're younger than me. So I'm always making sure that they don't go through what I went through. And that's, and I think, and I can, and I can say that they trust me well enough to like, when they have issues, like I want to talk to them, what can I do better? So it's, it, it, it's a good relationship. And, you know, I thought I will never find that or I thought I was going to just going back to a job that I was going to quit. But 
just it's, it's mental it's psychological you really have to believe in yourself that you're going to you're going to get something better because and I think we might have talked about it you know in companies you know one day you have your job the next day you don't and you know unfortunately companies don't feel like oh well today we're going to fire this person so it's like it, it's a job and what I learned is like you have a, a career and yes a career and a job is different you know you always want to look for other possibilities but with a job like one day you're here and one day you're not. So, you know, you just gotta keep looking and, you know, something, I, I'm always hopeful something better is gonna come a long way. Did you, during that time, during those five months, did you leverage your network? Um, I know Rutgers has a strong network because anybody I've met from Rutgers is like, Rutgers! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I did. I did, um, um, I was active, um, I was very active at Society Hispanic Professional Engineers. So I was going to a lot of their networking events. So that's why I kept looking through them and, you know, and thankfully I had worked with them at a regional level too. And they were, they, right off the bat, they were like, we were gonna give you recommendation letters. Don't worry about that. And so I was having, you know, they were, um, we're gonna write it on your LinkedIn. Don't worry about it. Like you'll get something better. And it's very interesting because as I started sharing my story, because at the beginning I was very ashamed, even though, I mean, now I think about it, it's like, I mean, everybody goes through failures, you know, nobody's perfect. But as I started talking, I found out one of my mentors at Rutgers, she told me, oh, I also quit my job because I didn't like it after three months and now she's a dean. So she's like, you know, like, because I, I, I used to talk to her a lot and, and I felt so sad and she's like, it happened to me. She think there is nothing to be ashamed of. It's you know that job wasn't for me, and if I wouldn't, if I would have stayed, I'd probably be you know in the same position. But no, I quit, got my master's, got my PhD, and now she's a dean and one of the school engineers. So it's, it's just like yeah. So it's like you know one thing doesn't work out, but that doesn't mean that's the end of it. There's always other opportunities. Right. Uh, and it, it, based on like what you've shared from like high school to Rutgers to um, being in PNG and you know deciding to quit and and to be honest, really being brave enough not to do the same thing twice because you know particularly when we find ourselves in a tight position when you don't have a job and then an, an opportunity comes. Sometimes we grow up with this mentality and, and I feel like sometimes immigrants have this and I definitely have this where you're like, peor es nada, right? <laughs> no, I was, it was gonna, the thing is like, it was the same position, process engineer, being at a fact, in, a, in a factory. And then I was like, okay, wait, the Guatemala, what the peor? No, I'm not gonna do this. <laughs> it's so Peruvian. <laughs> I was, it was like the same exact title. And I was like, oh, no, I was like, no. And I actually had, when I, I had, when the other position was assigned to me, I had to negotiate because I'm like, well, you know, they want me over there, even though like, I don't want it, but they want me. <laughs> so, you know, you gotta help me with the salary. So they right. were like very, they were very grateful with that. So I was like, okay, yeah. Right. And, and I was staying close into my parents. So yeah. that's what I like too. And that's important. Um, but I do want to also highlight that you seem to also have find mentors throughout your journey. Are you intentional with that or is it locked? Like, how do you approach finding those mentors? It was luck. I really think, I mean, I feel like I, I connect, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to say like, oh, un million de amigos, but I feel like I am able to connect. <laughs> I mean, some people say, you just have friends everywhere. But I, I feel like 
I'm able to connect with people and I just start like a, a friendship and then they, you know, they're older than me and then like they tell me um, their stories and I just, okay, you know, so it's, I mean, when my mentor from Rutgers, she's a Dean, uh, Dean Eileen, um, she was actually the advisor for the Society of Hispanic Professional um, Engineers chapter at Rutgers. So that's how I met her. And she's seen me at my lowest, at my highest with the organization. So I knew her, so it was very easy for me to talk to her. And then when I became a regional leader for SHEP, um, you have a regional student leader and then you have a regional vice president. So it's student and um, a professional now like in the field. And Dora, she was like so nice. And she's actually one of the ones who wrote me a recommendation letter. Actually, she reached out to her. I haven't talked to her in a while. <laughs> but she, we, we got to connect because we had to, because it was regional, Puerto Rico was part of it too, region four. So we had, we got to travel together to Puerto Rico and we stay in the same room. So it was like very easy to like connect. So I, I mean, it, it's just, it, I think it just, by luck it happened and I'm glad it did because otherwise I wouldn't have met these wonderful people. Wow. Uh, so I want to take it back to the beginning right, coming to the US, because now we've learned who you are now, yeah. what you do as a career, sort of like a little bit of your high school story, but I am super curious about coming to the US. Why did your parents choose to come to the US? Why not like Europa, right? <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, and also tell me about like how you as a 13 year old, you know, when they told you, like, how did you react? What was that? you know, process like, what was your last day in Peru like? Yeah, I'm curious about all of that. Okay, so for my family, the first two to arrive to the U.S. were two of my uncles. Um, and then they, this was in the 80s. Then they brought in my grandparents. And I think my grandparents migrated late 80s, if I'm not mistaken. They were on my mom's side of family. Um, so it... it it was during the, you know, the, during the times of terrorism, it was so common to hear una bomba here, coche bomba there. I think, don't you think like, maybe I'm getting a little sidetracked, but don't you think like for us, it was so common to hear that? I don't know, for me, like the coche bombas, it was something, it just happens. And it, I, I now that I think about it, it's like, that's crazy. Cause they actually put a coche bomba really near my house that broke my windows. And oh wow! How old yeah. were you? Um, I think it was like six. Oh seven. my gosh! They put a, a bomb in one of the. Era una fábrica de cerámica en Selima. And that, and and where? In what part of Lima? Oh, okay. Uh, it was like they used to make tiles. So I think we grew up with like you know terrorism and in in that difficult time in Peru. So in the beginning of the nineties, my grandparents. Um, decided to bring all their kids, my mom included, and their, their grandkids to the U.S. They put in the submission uh, in 1992. And let me give, make a parenthesis. And that's why, like, it, how do I say it? And I don't want to sound so rude, but when people say, come here the legal way, it, it, it irks me because it's so difficult. And even, you know, you and I being lucky enough to being able to come, it's, it's very hard. So they put in the papers in 92 and every year they told us, okay, you're coming next year, you're coming next year. So 
we, okay, you know, we're coming, we're coming, we're coming. Also because at that time, I think around the 94, 95 economy wasn't doing very well. Um, my parents, my dad owned a telecommunications company, a small telecommunications company, and both of them together own a restaurant in, in, in Centro de Lima. And times were hard, like they made good money, but in 94, 95, 96, it was getting rough. And in the back, in the back of our minds, it's like, we're going to the US next year. At school, I would say every year, this is the year I'm going to the US. And then we weren't going. And then it would be like 95, yes, we're going. And then at 96, year 96, I just gave up. I was like, yeah, we're never going to the US. And so, cause I was like, every time I'm telling my friends I'm going and you know, I look like a loser saying that I'm actually not going, it's not this year. So I think we had a pretty good 94, 95. I, I think that terrorism was almost, I think ending, but that's when the, the period of my parents were making money with the business on the side they had. And come 97, they told us it was approved, the papers, they took seven years. Fuimos a la embajada. That's a long time. Seven years is a long time. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. That's yeah. And people don't understand like the, you mentioned the request to bring the family from your grandparents was submitted in 92 and it didn't get approved until 97. And if you think about, you know, like the situation that certain families go through in different countries, like you don't have seven years to wait. Like, like fortunately your family was kind of okay. And the situation in Peru was getting maybe a little better. There was still, it was still really, really tough. Mm -hmm. But when you are in a position where like, this is a life or death situation, you can't expect someone to be like, all right, well, I'm going to spend all this time filing a paper that's not going to get approved for seven years, right? So that's not reasonable either. But go ahead, continue. So like in 1997, it got approved and you, yeah. did you tell your friends? <laughs> yeah, I told my friends. I was like, no, I did, actually I didn't. I think I waited because I was like, let me make sure like I have, I have made an interview con la embajada and, you know, have everything good to go. So it was like all of us, like my little sister was like, no, we actually, okay, they say it was a proof and they made our interview for early, early 98 and 1998 and all, it was so funny because it was like all of us, all the moms and their kids and my little sister in, in El Cochecito and it was like so many, it was like, I think it was 15 of us <laughs> from the same family Wow, to Embajada and like, um, and yeah, I mean, they interview us. I, I don't know if they, I mean, they might have asked, asked us some questions, but they definitely interviewed my mom. And actually it was so cute because like the guy who was in, interviewing us, he was American and he just kept staring at Maria, my little sister. Cause she was like, I think she was like five months. And he was just like, oh, this cute baby. And we're like, yes, yes, get her on the, get him on the good side. <laughs> So Maria is the reason you guys got it. <laughs> yeah, he was so he was so enthusiastic with the baby, and I was like, yes. That's so but, funny. Yeah, so they, you know, we, it, and then besides that, you know, the tourism and the economy was it was tough times. The economy wasn't doing good. My parents, you know, it was that time when and I don't know if you heard that people are graduating with college degrees, but they were like make being taxi drivers because they couldn't find job. And, you know, so my parents were kind of like, you know, even if we put them through school, 
they might not get a good job and then what are they going to do? So that was the mentality. And then my grandparents already have filed the paperwork. So, you know, it was okay, we're going, we're going. So finally, you know, everything went through. We got to the US on July 2nd. For me, in the back of my head, and I, I think I, I wrote to you that it, to me, for me, it was, oh, we're going to the US, you know, mi por angelito, like, it's gonna be, you know, just as, for me, I thought I was going on vacation. <laughs> I didn't think in the back of my mind, I didn't think I was gonna stay here forever. <laughs> and it, it was hard, like I said at the beginning. So, but eventually it was summer. So the summer was fun. And then when I had to go to school, then that's when it hit, oh, okay, I'm really here forever and ever. Maybe I wanna do, I do wanna move somewhere else eventually, but we don't know. <laughs> So what was that first year like here? Um, it was tough. Um, we lived in a basement um, and that transition was very tough because we had a four floor house in Lima. My, in, we had someone picked us up to go to school. I don't think we were rich, but we were middle class. We were very fortunate. You know, my parents would take us to good places and when it, it was someone's birthday or on Sundays. Um, and we had a lot of friends and coming to live in the basement for a month, two months while they're like trying, like my, my parents and my grandparents trying to figure out where we're going to live. It was very, very hard because it's like, you know, you're coming from here to now, you know, like it, it felt like a downgrade and it was very hard for siblings. I mean, for Sarah and Joseph, that's my younger siblings. Maria was still too little to comprehend, but it was very tough because then we were like, we were better off in Peru. Why are we here? So that was tough the first year. And when we arrived to the U.S., it was only my mom and my siblings. My dad stayed back on, you know, closing up um, the house that we had, the business right. they had. So, you know, so it's like, because it's not easy, you know, they have, they, our whole, their whole lives have been there. So they have properties, and my dad had to stay behind to like tidy up all that. So it was very tough. I gave kudos to my mom because being a mom to four kids in the US and it's it's tough. You know, I mean, I can't even mind myself with a puppy. So, so, funny. <laughs> so I know like, <laughs> but with my mom and it was tough, but I think it really, and, and I do wanna say, I think that really taught us to be very grateful for what we have up to this point and not take anything for granted. And, and, and I think with you too, that we can agree that it made us who we are and we're very grateful and we react to situations different way because we know what it is to be at the bottom and how grateful we are to be where we are. Yeah. How do you think immigration changed your parents? Um, what do you mean? So like, for example, do you recall if it affected them in any way emotionally? Did their personality change? Especially, um, I guess I'm curious about your mom, like with your dad left in Peru to kind of close everything and sell yeah. everything and being here with like three kids or four kids. It's, I'm, I'm curious, like how did they react to being in a new country? It was very tough. My mom was a vice principal at elementary school back in Peru. And coming here, 
you know, and, and I think you talked about it in other episodes about the revalidation of your degree. It's like starting from zero again, especially, and my mom was older and it was very tough because she had to wake up at five in the morning to go to the factory to work until like three. What and, factory? And I can't remember the name, but it was, she had to like fill in bottles with pills. So okay. waking up fine and more. She didn't drive, so she had to wait waking up a fire so somebody can come and get her. Um and you know, go to the factories, do that. And psychology, I mean, it, it, it was very tough because you were coming from a desk job and where you are have it's you know, you're a you're you're not even you're more than a teacher, you're a vice principal. And now to this, and on top of that, you have four kids, and it, it I think it really changed her in being, I mean, she had to have a lot of patience with us <laughs> being in, in, you know, being with her kids. So it, it was tough. It wasn't easy, but eventually she got her, um, her revalidation. So now she's a teacher, a teacher's assistant, but really it made her strong. And I think it really made us bond into being really grateful we are mom doing all of this for us I mean I can say now that she's my best friend and that's beautiful, oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure a lot of moms wish their daughters would say like oh. it's my best friend but yeah I I know you have a special relationship with your mom because I follow you on Instagram and like I know you guys travel <laughs> but that's that's beautiful yeah she's my best friend and I'm, I'm so grateful because like I said like I wouldn't be able to manage with four kids <laughs> and it's and you know, yeah, and with my dad too, I, I mean, I love my dad too. And he's, it really changed him too, because at the beginning it was tough for him again. He worked for um, a telecommunications company. He had his own business. He has so many friends. And then coming here, no friends, not knowing the language. It was very tough on him. And, you know, at the beginning he didn't wanna, he wanted to go back and we said, but we're here. And he, he just didn't get, it's, it's so hard because when you come at an older age, it's very hard to like, um, assimilate a new culture so you know it, it really changed them and at the beginning it was tough but now you know now they want to stay here now they don't want to go back <laughs> that's funny so sometimes I think that the oldest child in a family it's almost like the third parent and being that third parent quote-unquote uh, and being in a new country not knowing the language, not knowing the culture, and in your case, being a teenager, how did that experience, how, I mean, how was that that for you? How did that change you? I think it really made me appreciate like what parents do. Um, you know, being the first one to go to college, I was, my, my siblings were really looking up to me into like, okay, she went, I have to go and helping them, you know, with now that I knew the whole process, um, you, then they, they were relying on me and they would say, okay, Delia did this, okay, I have to do it, I have to do it. Now they're like so good. I think they, they, they're doing more stuff than I do now, so I'm really proud of them. Um, but I think it really changed me for the better. It really helped me to be um, more independent and it really changed me to have the connection with my parents and I bring it back to what we talked earlier to being always being able to provide to them, being appreciative of all the work they did for us. And even now, like we go out and, you know, we pay for the food they eat, you know, we travel, we pay for them. 
because it's 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 a retribution of what they did for us. So I think it changed me for the better. It changed me to be a better person, a better human, and you know, knowing that our parents for for us is like the biggest blessing, and we have to always make sure like they're doing okay. Yeah. No, I totally identify with everything you said. Yeah, definitely. I also consider my parents the biggest blessing. I also have a very strong relationship with my mom and similar to you, like I travel with my mom and she's like my best travel buddy. Cause like we travel the same way. We're very relaxed, kind of like go with the flow. Like, and, and so I love traveling with her. Um, so when you came here, did you still have family in Peru? Yes. Well, did my dad's side of family, all my mom's side of family came. Oh, wow. Okay. So how did you, did you, how did you stay connected, if at all, with the family in Peru? Uh, we, when we go, we try to meet up with them and visit them. Um, it's only, I have now, only have one cousin uh, that lives there and her kids. I actually have their own Facebook and <laughs> the kids. So they're always, tia, tia. Um, but yeah, like when, when we go, we try to visit them here and there. Um, and I actually recently found out I have more family, you know, tios, tias, primos, second degree, third degree. So my dad is trying to arrange something post-COVID, see if we can meet his whole side of family because he's always like, it's always your mom's side of family because they all live here. So you guys are always hanging out with them and then my side of family, and then, you know. But it's because he, he only had one sister and, and he both of his parents passed away earlier. So it's really, he only had one sister and then unfortunately the sister passed away so it's only I have one cousin left like the right cousin and that's it so I don't have any immediate family but I do don't have other like extensions so now I'm trying to meet them up when I go back do you feel close to them um not that close because we when I came here we we used to be closer when my Anne was alive, but then after she passed away, it was, we weren't like taken to visit them that often. But we do, you know, we, we make sure like when we go, we visit them, we treat them and we actually have like send them money to a couple of times my mom has. So. How do you, um, how do you handle the um, expectation or maybe the hope I'm just gonna say like the hope that um, you send money to family members in Peru. I don't know if you have experienced that directly or your mom. Um, and just to put a little bit of context to the question, sometimes for us immigrants who come here, our families back in Peru may think that you know, el dinero sale de los árboles. Yeah, yeah. Like there's that expectation that, you know, like the streets are paved with gold and money grows in trees. And because we earn dollars here, we should be really well off. Um, and sometimes what I hear people say is, yeah, I earn dollars, but I also pay in dollars. <laughs> no, so, exactly. so I am curious, what is your experience with... Um, Remesas or remesas. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, more my mom has done it. I haven't really done it, but I had to, like, with the extended family I had there, like, one time they messaged me, it's like, can you send me a laptop? 
And I'm like, what? <laughs> I don't even have a new laptop. This is back like a couple of years ago. And I said, no. It, it was just very strange to get that message. Like, can you send me this? Can you send me that? And it's So like, it was just direct. It wasn't like... Um, like, hi, how are you, Tia? Can you send me a laptop? What? <laughs> And I, I, I like tell my, I think I told my dad or my mom, like, just ignore it. You know, you know. Sometimes we, I mean, my mom does send money, um, but mostly sometimes it's like when somebody has passed, she just kind of sends like, you know, to help the family. But, you know, like for my dad's side of family, we don't have a lot. So we don't really, she sends sometimes like here and there. But yeah, I mean, we, we try to make it clear that you know, it's, yeah, you make money here, but you also pay a lot of money and that money didn't come easy that you had to work for it. Yeah. And I, I think it, it is not as, and I don't know, maybe you can speak for yourself, but I know for me, sometimes it's not a being greedy. It's, mm. it's just that I also know that um, there are certain financial responsibilities that I have here that, um, that, make me be a little bit more tight and, and disciplined with how I handle my personal finance that I can't just um, send money there all the time or something, right? So, yeah. um, so one of the questions I typically ask uh, the guests is like, how did you stay in touch with your culture? How did you keep the culture going? You're one of the most Peruvian people I know, and <laughs> I, I love that you always are telling people your story because I, I felt like, yeah, that's so normal. I do the same thing. Like whenever I meet, like whenever I, wherever I go, people will know I'm Peruvian. Yeah. You know? People will I know, know, I know. my story. <laughs> so, <laughs> people are probably like, you're so annoying. You were talking about Peru. But we have good food, so I think it's fair. <laughs> right. Um, but I, I usually ask, how, do you, how did you keep the culture? But you grew up in Patterson, New Jersey, which is like little Peru, basically. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. so how was that for you, like coming to the U.S.? And sometimes when we are in Peru and see movies about the U.S., we're like, oh, home alone. Like, you I know. know, yeah, that's what we think of. <laughs> so like, how was it to come to such a Peruvian place and growing up in such a Peruvian place? It felt like home. It felt like I never left. I mean, even in, in John F. Kennedy High School in Patterson, um, it was um, the, the people that were coming, the younger kids were also Peruvian. So I was able to help them, um, you know, along the way what I could. So it wasn't, I, I don't think I ever lost the touch with being Peruvian. My, um, my family would do volleyball tournaments on the weekend. So we'll play. Um, they had anticuchos frying. They had, um, uh, my grandma, she used to do pachamancas in the backyard. <laughs> in the Don't we all? Grandma used to do that too. Yeah, just yeah, dig a hole. <laughs> yeah, like just dig a hole and like, you know, and even at one time, I, I, you probably know about Yunsa, right? Yunsa, you know? They did that in where I used to live too. That's so funny. So, so it's like, you know, like it was in, and my distant cousins from New York will come down to, to New Jersey to like play volleyball. So it's like, we always had like Peruvians around us. So I think luckily I never lost that touch with like my Peruvian um, community with a Peruvian family. So, I mean, in that, in, that, in that aspect, I felt like I never left, but obviously it's, it's, it wasn't the same because you know, you're not back there with your like, family and your friends. So, but I'm glad, I mean, I'm glad it happened because now I still go to Peru every 
if when I can every year and I still travel and I have brought my friends there to, too, they're not, they're not Peruvians to like visit. And I love, I love planning. So I love planning for them. Like you should stay here, you should be here. So, and I'm glad, I mean, like, like you said, like I feel we are very, very proud of our culture and being able to share that with, you know, other people. And, and you know, we're, we're just happy people. We just want to transmit that to the people and see, so they see like Peruvians, you know, it, it's it's different it's I don't know it's we have it's a chispa <laughs> I agree we were very and this is something that again we talked about in episode two uh when we talked about <laughs> la, la película or the documentary Identidad um you know despite Peruvians having gone through such difficult decades mm-hmm. uh, of political unrest economic turmoil um there's still that joy and maybe because of that you know we're like <laughs> yellow <laughs> I know, yeah, but don't you, don't you, like, even in your family, when you go back to Peru, you just hang out, and they just, everybody has a nickname, and nobody takes it, like, offensively, and, you know, every, you can, you can talk to people, and then just, they just, it's like, bring funny stories, or, like, you know, trying to roast someone on the spot, and it's, like, it's just so, it's, it's, like, it's very livid, and I don't know if you, I mean, I don't know if this is true, but I was, seen the news or something before where they say like which country puts the most like funny laughs on Facebook in the world and it's Peruvians apparently they give what do you mean most funny laughs you know how you can react to a status on Facebook the most apparently the most that they click the the laugh emoji are Peruvians oh that's I mean that's funny like the fact that we're like the funny that we're laughing the most in social media we're like haha (laughs) yeah and then somebody goes somebody Somebody posted something like, en Peru se aburre el que quiere. <laughs> I think it's true. I think it's true. And I love that saying. Um, and I also want to share for, uh, you know, just the audience, maybe there's some non-Peruvians listening. Roasting somebody is part of the culture. It like, is. I you, know. You, like, you have to, if they don't roast you, they don't care about you. <laughs> yes. It, it is. It, and, it, and it's funny somebody was telling me like they're like I don't understand why they do that but I think it's like it's part of the culture and it's funny because it's like you know I had a nickname and you know then I'm like okay I grew up or you know or even when I when I'm with my siblings and like we all get together when Sarah comes from Dallas and my brother and Maria comes from Rutgers and we like sitting at the table and my dad and when he speaks to his cousins in Peru he's always like I don't know, but they, the four of them get together and just start, they, it's just laugh, 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 laugh. And then we just like, I don't like the simplest thing. We just like share stories or like we have nicknames and we just keep laughing. My dad is like, oh my God, you guys are so loud. And like, well, first of all, we got that from you because he has a very loud voice. So it's genetic. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, I had a, I have a Costa Rican friend and I think he lived with Peruvian roommates when he, maybe it was in Argentina. And he would always text me like the different things they would say to each other, like the mean things or the roasting things. And he'll be like, why are Peruvians so mean to each other? <laughs> you, you, you heard when somebody like, when you say something bad or I don't know, something mean and somebody goes, it's una basura. <laughs> They're like, oh my god! I know and people hear that and they're like, "You just called him trash." <laughs> I know, it's funny, and it's like, oh, like oh, we have nicknames, you know, like when somebody is, I don't know, if you heard this one, like when somebody's tipsy, somebody be like, "Oh yes, that's Pikachu," and they're like, 
Picado, you know, yeah. like Pikachu. And I'm like, yeah. oh my God, why do we come up with like the funniest things? Yeah, yeah, we do, we do. Um, for the audience that don't know what a Yunsa is, can you explain what a Yunsa is? Mm, so Yunsa is, I, I mean, I don't know, you can jump in because I mean, I kind of know, but that's not really from my parents' hometown. I think it's more from, I mean, they're from La Sierra, but not like deep in La Sierra. Um, it's, they put up a tree and you know and people dance around the tree but the tree has gifts so you get a what is it a machete right like how do you say a machete machete um, machete, there you go. Um. machete. <laughs> <laughs> and then you take turns as you go around the tree first a thin tree obviously that was planted on the ground and then you keep doing it and until you cut the tree and then the whole tree comes down and you got to run away because you don't want to get hit by the tree, but the gifts are all in there. So then you run like a piñata kind of thing and, you know, try to get all the gifts. I know it's who, who made this up. That's what I was saying, Mike. So the tree, <laughs> the tree has gifts. Uh, it's yeah, like, on, the, on the branches. Right. That people put like gifts on the branches and then, you know, yeah, you dance around the tree, you have a machete and you chop down the tree. Yeah. Why so. why we do this? I'm not sure. But I don't know. It's a festival <laughs> and you know, you get it down. I think it's yeah. just because people want to like party. Like Yeah. Dance. I'm sure there's a reason. And if somebody out there knows, like yeah. maybe I'll Google it and share it. But it, it is it is funny. Uh, I seen this in Peru. I have not seen it here, so I was very surprised that you mentioned that you did Yunsas. Did you guys literally chop a tree in Patterson, New Jersey? <laughs> yeah. We did. I mean, I can call my I can call my uncle. He's he's the one who will know. I mean, one like I come back. I think I don't know. Maybe it was a Rutgers, and I come back, and then I was like, "What? It's happening!" And then you know, cumbia or like wino being played in the background, and I was just like, "What is?" I mean, I had seen it in Peru. I hadn't seen it in the U.S. And then when I saw it, I was just like, "What? It's happening!" But the people enjoy it. You know, like they're drinking, they're dancing, and it's mm -hmm. it's. A tradition which is we have many traditions that don't make sense but they're fun <laughs> yeah they are fun all right so you came from peru at 13 you grew up in patterson new jersey which is a very peruvian place um and i'm guessing Rutgers also has a strong peruvian community mm, yeah okay so talk to us about your american side what do you consider your american side what are mm. some what are how do you balance your Peruvian side and your American side? Or, or maybe, you know, maybe you're just fully one and fully the other. Like, talk to us about those two identities. Um, I think I would say I'm more like a fully Peruvian. I do, you know, celebrate like the holidays, you know, Thanksgiving, the, you know, it's, it's the American side. Um, I, I would say though with, with American, it's like being grateful for the American dream and like the opportunities and, you know, being aligned with, because there's there's so many opportunities in american in in the u.s um yeah i mean i don't know what else you know i feel like i'm more peruvian than you know american and but i do you know respect all the traditions and you know when i'm in a setting I'm, I'm conscious that, you know, I work in other places, I'm a minority, so I'm conscious of, like, what I, what I can say and, you know, what I can share with, like, with, um, with people that are, are Americans, and, you know, I think overall, like, being U.S., um, it's, 
just being grateful to be here because we both know how hard it is to get here. And uh, as being here, I think that, you know, I can never say like, I hate America because I don't. It's, it's a land that has given me a lot of opportunities. Yeah, I definitely agree with, um, you know, appreciating the U.S. Um, for the opportunities that we have been able to to earn, to be honest, to earn because we had to work for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are opportunities here. Um, if you, you know, if if you know how to connect with people and network, if you know yeah. how to hustle, if you know how to uh, network and just like so many things. And, and I know that sometimes, um, I don't wanna say we, but I know sometimes the US is, is criticized because of all the, all, the, all the bad things that are happening here, all the systemic racism mm-hmm. that is happening. Mm-hmm. And those are all true. And those actually are things that happen in Peru as well that we haven't talked about. Um, mm-hmm. But I think um, what I also want people to, to take away is that, Yes, those are all true. Those are all things that the U.S. can do better. Those are all the things that we should unite and work towards improving this country that we have chosen to be our home now. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, like I want us to make sure that we also appreciate the the fact that this country uh, we were able to sobresalir, right? We were yeah. able to uh, move up the social ladder. We were able to uh, get an education that perhaps we weren't. Uh, that wasn't going to be available to us, you know, back in Peru. Um, and I know my dad, he's never said this directly to my brother and I, but I know that he also wanted us to be good American citizens, be engaged in the political system, mm-hmm. be knowledgeable and contribute back to this country that mm-hmm. has, has um, and I don't want to say given as in like it freely gave us, but has, um, allowed us to to achieve you know things that perhaps were just a dream back yeah. in Peru we can take the good out of it because there's bad stuff that's happening yes we're mindful of that and we know that but at the same time there's good and you know we're an example that good things happen so it's like you know you can no puedes mezclar las dos cosas son dos cosas separadas and mm-hmm. you know and being a citizen and making sure you know you're like helping the U.S. it's like that, that's part of, like now like living in this country for so long that's part of, like what, like what we should do yeah and i know you mentioned we have a new president so we have a new president-elect we are recording this episode on november 8th which is the day after um president-elect biden uh was announced as well as vice president-elect kamala harris which was very exciting times for the u.s yesterday everybody celebrated um, did you get a chance to, you know, check out the celebrations, uh, Delia? I was actually in New York yesterday. I was in the Upper East Side and people were like with their signs and like Kamala. I mean, it's like one of those things like whether you are a supporter of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, it's, um, you have to feel proud because it's like, especially for, you know, being the first um, women vice president and a woman of color, it's like, it's very identifying, you know, whether you like her or not, it's like, it's, you see that a change is coming and you know and yes america is becoming more of a country with immigrants and you know and it's and it's changing and i was talking to my parents earlier you know you can just you need to have the representation in the upper you know in the upper ladder so it's 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 good it it feels good you know 
Yeah, and I'm glad, uh, you know, I'm glad that the country got a chance to kind of release all that tension that we had been feeling um, in the last several months um, due to COVID, due to this presidency that's been so uh, toxic, to be honest, to everybody. Um, yeah, but this is not a political show, so I won't go no, I know, yeah, into, no, no. <laughs> into that. You know, I, I can't very, like, I try not to get too political, but at the same time, it's like, what are your values and what you connect with? And, you know, what, I, I think you and I always want the better for the people and putting kindness first, putting, helping others because we were in the same spot once. So, you know, let me not get in there, but it's like, it's very important <laughs> to get a message that, you want people to be nice, even though that's like that's an ideal thing to say. But yeah, just just be a good human being, just be an, a good person, and that makes such a big difference. Even though people say it's cliche, blah blah blah, you know, but it costs you nothing to be a good person. So if you have that within you, just try to like spread that out. You know, you don't want to have the opposite of promoting all the things that we know. Right. Right. <laughs> Um, so, and as we wrap up, um, what are your final thoughts on, um, or like what message do you have for Peruvians in Peru? And you can, you know, say it in Spanish if you want to. Uh, and what is your message to Peruvians in the U.S.? So for Peruvians in, in el Peru, um, y todavía tengo muchos amigos actually que, que, que viven en Perú, que, you know, si tienen la oportunidad de, ir a, de venir acá a Estados Unidos o otros países, que lo hagan, que es una experiencia muy rewarding. <laughs> How do you say English, that? I don't know. <laughs> it's, a, it's, una es una experiencia muy bonita y llevar esa siempre llevar esa cultura contigo y promocionarla porque nunca uno nunca sabe cuándo va a encontrar otro peruano y, 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 y sabiendo que eres peruano y te encuentras otra otra gente y, y nada que sigan los que están en el país que sigan alentando o sea que sigan promoviendo no solo esa cultura, pero también envolviéndose en la política, en you know, aprendiendo de, de qué se puede hacer mejor en el Perú, desafortunadamente, y también probablemente lo has visto en las noticias, todavía sigue mucha delincuencia, mucho abuso a la mujer y todo eso. Y es triste verlo desde, desde donde estamos y uno le gustaría poder hacer más, pero siempre tratando de, de sobresalir. Yo siempre le digo a mi papá, ¿será que algún día eso va a desaparecer? Y mi papá dice, no creo que desaparezca porque esos valores se aprenden en la casa y eso, con eso creces. Y hasta que no cambie eso, no, 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 el país no va a cambiar desafortunadamente. Pero que es, o sea, las personas que lo tengan en sí, que es, son positivas y que quieren de verdad cambiar el país, que sigan haciendo lo que yo espero que en algún momento eso de la delincuencia sea algo del pasado y tal vez sea un sueño muy, muy lejano, pero que... Yo admiro a mis amigos que, que tal vez tuvieron la oportunidad de irse, pero se quedaron porque quieren de verdad retribuir al país. Entonces, que sigan con eso. You know, tengo muchos amigos profesionales y les va súper bien y estoy muy emocionada algunos con sus proyectos, con sus negocios. Siempre, siempre muy orgullosa de ellos. Y para los peruanos de aquí, que igual que sigan promocionando la cultura, no lo sé en inglés, por la provincia here that, you know, if you have other students, younger students, and you're already a professional, please make sure to build up the ladder, making sure you're guiding. I was a little inactive myself with 
going to high schools and I want to start next year. I have a few connections. So I'm going to start going back to high schools again because really when not only for Peruvians, for, for Latinos, you really want to help out them out because you know you were in that position and somebody helped you out. And sometimes you just need that empujoncito to being able to, you know, become the better version of you. So, you know, you keep thriving for the parents, you know, keep making sure telling your kids like education is the most important thing. And that's something my parents always tell me that we can leave you money, we can leave you a lot of things, but you know, leaving you with education, somebody, something that nobody can take away from you. So, you know, having that in mind, having that in mind why you came to this country and pushing towards getting to that dream, that goal that you have, because like we said, there's, there's so many opportunities. You just gotta go get them. Yes, I agree with all of that. So if anybody from the audience wants to connect with you, either regarding Rutgers or, you know, being an engineer, chef, traveling, salsa on two, which crazy. <laughs> I love so, it. I actually love it. It's challenging. But it's you know, challenging. With the dancing and there's something I'm realizing, like you, you and I, we said like, we know how to dance. Yes, we go with the dance. But when you're learning a choreography, and especially in salsa two or any other choreography, it's you really use your memorization. And that's so good because, you know, as you get older, you may tend to forget. So it's like keeping you in check. And I'm grateful because two years ago, they would put me in front of a mirror and they would teach me the choreography and then I would blank out. But now like I'm able to retain that. And to me, that I mean, personally, that's such a good skill because now I can retain more information. Wow, that's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. And like, yeah, so tell us how to, how we can connect with you um, to learn about any more of like, yeah, Rutgers, Chef, being an yeah, engineer. You can, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, my name Delia Rios. You'll see it, um, the company right now that I work at is Foodmatch. And I guess once you see my picture, once you post the episode, you'll see me there. <laughs> yeah, I'll definitely link, link uh, put the link on this uh, show notes. Okay. Yeah. And then on Instagram at Deliari1. We'll also link it up. All right, Delia, thank you so much for uh, this conversation. I really, uh, one, I really appreciate your time. And two, it's, it's really nice to connect with you again and see you and, you know, this is our, our live, I guess, uh, talking on the phone. It's just an excuse for me to talk to you. So <laughs> I know, I know we can talk for hours. There's more, much more to tell, but, you know, I'm hopeful that my story can, you know, motivate other people and, you know. Yeah. And this is another uh, step towards your Un Millón de Amigos goal. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> Thank you, Delia. Thank you. Just wanted to take a break here to share that Peruvians of USA now has an online store. Help us spread the message that El Mejor Amigo de un Peruano es Otro Peruano by visiting our online store. We also have feminine versions that said La Mejor Amiga de una Peruana es Otra Peruana or gender neutral versions. This could be the perfect gift for a Peruvian in your life. Visit the link on the episode notes or link in bio. All right, back to the episode. So Delia, this is the last episode of season one of Peruvians of USA, um, which started in July 28th, 2020. Um, so this year, and it's going to be, this episode is going to be released in December. And so as is typical, all of us, um, you know, start reflecting, start, start spending time with our families. Um, 2020 to say, to say the least has been a really tough year for 
many people, not just in the US, but around the world. Um, you know, we all came into this year being like new year, new me, new decade, yeah. <laughs> new, de new decade. This is my year, right? Um, and it started with what, like Australian fires, I believe, and Kobe Bryant's death that took everybody by surprise. And even I, who um, I'm not a sports fanatic, um, or into basketball like it still was pretty shocking when, yeah. when I when I heard it and I heard my when my brother came home and um, I was just sitting my parents and, and shared that news with us so it, it affected us so much that we we were just having like a casual conversation uh, on the dinner table and we stayed hours talking about yeah. life and family oh and <laughs> that's what, actually you know that happens with my family too like when there's like things like that we sit down and you know, it, like I could be not in the conversation, but like, I, I feel like there's gonna start talking. Like I quickly go to the table because I wanna be part of the conversation. And I think it's never, the wisdom of our parents is endless. You can like, if they're just no, personally, and I think for you too, they just know so much. Yeah, and, and to be honest, so many of my memories with my parents is just those conversations that we have. It, and um, so many of the things I laugh at later on at the, it, I'm making fun of them. It's just like funny things that are said yeah. on the table. Um, yeah, so like we just talked about Kobe and life and how yeah. fragile it is um, for hours. Um, and then the Black Lives Matter movement coming to the forefront. Um, okay the election, I know. <laughs> which, which dragged on. Um, what the question I want to ask you as you know, we wrap up season one of Peruvians of USA in the year 2020, what has this year taught you? And what has, has it made you regret if anything? Yeah, it has taught me that never take things for granted. Definitely. Um, you know what especially with COVID like when they when they were here when they the next day were not so very important to anything that you want to do and and I say that for me too anything that you want to do do it now because sometimes we are so afraid that we're not ready we're not there yet but in honesty is anyone who has started something really ready you just kind of go with it and then you just hope for the best so it taught me that, it taught me to appreciate my parents at the beginning of the pandemic, making sure they're not going now, they're not being exposed because I heard stories of um, acquaintances that have lost their parents. And that, I mean, just the thought of it, not having my parents kills me because for me, and I know it's not realistic for me, I wanted to live forever and that's not gonna happen. So the most time that I can spend with them, the better, the most conversations I can have with them, the better. And and I, I forgot to say this, but any decision that I made too, they always been with me and always suggesting, giving their ideas. So it, it has told me that. It has told me that family is so important. Friends are so important and keeping in touch with your friends. Like, hi, how are you doing? Especially with the friends that you know they live by themselves. In, to keeping up with, with that. And one thing that has made me regret is I always, and I think I mentioned to you, I always wanted to teach dance classes. And I always in the back of my mind has always been I'm not ready I'm not good enough or you know I need to be more fit to like teach and and now I'm thinking and, and now that I'm starting I started going to my classes it's like I think I'm good enough to start teaching and it's just like now it's like all these months that I have wasted you know 
that could, I could have thought. Now it's making me regret not doing it. And now I want to like really, you know, start doing choreography so I can teach in person post COVID. And another thing that I regret, which now I'm making up for, is like, like I said, talking more with my parents, with my siblings, keeping up with my friends, and really, really seeing. I feel like now in this time that everybody has been like confined, like everybody is coming out with ideas, with businesses. So, in, in like you, you know that always supporting that and always making sure like what can I do to help my friends that are starting something new so basically thank you for sharing that um it definitely has also 2020 has definitely also taught me that um I don't know if it taught is the right word but maybe it has reminded me that um how how much I love my family right yeah and and I think sometimes I feel that I um sort of I want to be that the you know the eldest that's the responsible one that has a million like has 10 backup plans just in case something happens but it reminded me that you know like you love them enjoy the moment you have with them now and also try to capture it somehow right like so i um it has made me realize that uh the moments that i travel with my parents or with my mom like i treasure that more and like i'm I'm more excited to do that in the future with them and before i wasn't so much into like taking family portraits or anything like that like my family is really not into that and you know we kind of talked about that with um anna in episode eight i believe but now like I want to take family portraits and I want to capture our interactions, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's that's the reason I decided to launch Peruvians of USA because your stories, our stories are so important. And later in life, you can take a listen to this, you know, I interview. Know, yeah, that's, that's <laughs> it. No, it is. It's like, it's like a picture that, you know, sometimes people, why you take so many pictures? But, you know, when I'm old, I want to look back and I really remember those times. Yeah, and be like, damn, I was hot. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. You want to know it's, you want to, I know, and I totally get it that now with the family, you know, the more time I spend with my parents and my siblings and keeping in contact with my sister who's in Dallas, it's like, it, in, it's, I'm so grateful to have them. Like, I, it might sound like weird or like cliche or like, oh my God, this girl is crazy. But I like really love my family. I, my inner family to me, it's like the best thing. And, you know, and, and, and you see it, you know, like how they say like the children are like the mimic of their parents. And I'm grateful for the parents I had because they could have given us more, you know, than what they could, but they want to make sure they're raising kids that are like grateful for what they have. They don't, they don't want, they could have spoiled us because because money wise my dad could but he was like no I wanted to grow up knowing like being um, responsible and being like you have to work hard to like get what you want so I'm grateful for that and I hope like when I have family in the same way too (laughs) yes yes well um as we wrap up I know you and I will talk before the end of the year but just as you know we're closing this episode and closing this season of Peruvians of USA I want to say 
Thank you for being who you are, being this <laughs> joyful, you know, Peruvian girl and for your friendship and for staying connected throughout the years. We discussed earlier that we known each other for over 10 years. Um, so I really want to say I appreciate you. I appreciate you for that. And I hope you have a, you know, great holiday season. Um, I know we're starting this will be released in December, but I hope you have a great Thanksgiving, Christmas, and, and New Year's, and I'll see you on the other side of 2021. <laughs> no, and thank you, Natalie. I think you're one of the best people I have met, and like this new venture that you have, it's it's great. It's I mean, I, I when you came out with idea and you told me, you know, you want to be part of it, I was like, yes, I want to be part of it. <laughs> so no, I'm very proud of you and everything you have accomplished too. You know, just. I, I know like you, your story and you know your undergrad your masters and I, I can say that you, you're such a go-getter and you know you're an inspiration to for me and like for other Peruvians. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Peruvians of USA. If you like the show be sure to subscribe and review an Apple podcast. It lets other Peruvians find the show. If you want to hear more from me, you can follow me on Instagram at Peruvians of USA. I'm looking forward to connecting with you there. All right. Talk to you soon. Ciao.